You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. A lamp must be lit. Jesus has lit the lamp in us. Jesus has lit the lamp in us. He's the one that lights the lamp in John. A lamp gives off heat. John's message had warmth to it because it went to our heart. The message of Christ goes to our heart and it warms us. It fills us. It flows ever over us. What's the function of a light? To guide. Function of a light is to guide. Imagine you're in a cold cabin that's dark and empty feeling, but then you light a lantern and the glow of the light suddenly helps you feel warmer. In Pastor Dave's teaching today, he encourages you to be this kind of light that emits warmth and the light of Jesus to all those you're around and has an impact. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 5 as he begins his message, Can I Get a Witness? going to continue in our study in the book of John, John 5. We're looking at the claims of Jesus, and this is part 4. Claims of Jesus, part 4. John 5, we're looking at verses 31 through 39 specifically. Uh, Allow me to read aloud if you want to follow along silently, please. Beginning in verse 31. Jesus is still speaking. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from men. But I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. But I have greater witness than John's, For the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. And the Father himself who sent me has testified of me. You have neither heard his voice at any time nor seen his form. But you do not have his word abiding in you because whom he sent him you do not believe. You search the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. And these are they which testify of me. So, have you ever done something so incredibly wonderful that you couldn't wait to share it with somebody? And when I wrote this, I was thinking about fishing. The one that got away. The one that got away. How come the one that gets away, every time you tell a story, gets bigger? And you're bigger. The one that got away. You tell you catch these fish and they get away, whatever. Why don't they believe you? Why don't they believe what you're trying to tell them? It's because you have no proof of what you're saying. You can give them no proof. It's just your word that this giant fish was on my line and either got eaten by a shark or just broke the line and went away. Your word. 
It's hard to believe that something happened without proof. However, if you had another person in the boat with you, if you had another person or two in the boat with you watching you as you fished, they could testify that, yeah, that happened. I was there. I saw that. And you might even believe that that was true. They give proof of what the person's claiming. The people become more inclined to believe you when you have proof, when you have witnesses. The people who testify on your behalf are called witnesses. So then your proof comes in the form of a witness. That's why we've named our message, Can I Get a Witness? Let's face it, folks. In our world today, man's own testimony is not only unacceptable, it's always suspicious. For example, if I were accused of a crime, and they put me on a stand, what am I going to say? I'm not guilty. It's not my fault. Somebody else did it. You have no proof. However, if they had witnesses that saw me commit the crime, that bears a lot more weight. And they would be able to probably convict me. But, however, if I had witnesses who collaborated my story that it wasn't my fault, that I wasn't involved, then I might be found not guilty. See, the story of a person has to be supported by other witnesses. And this is a centuries-old law. It's a centuries-old law, and you can find it in Deuteronomy 19, 15. It says, out of the mouth of two or more witnesses, a, a matter must be established. So that is the concept that we're using here. Now, we've been studying Jesus' response to the religious leaders who are now coming against him because he healed the lame man on the Sabbath. They're angry at him. His response even made them more angry. He responded and claimed that he was equal with God. He claimed that he was equal with God because he called God my father. He said he was equal with God because God had given him the authority to raise the dead and to pass judgment. He also said he was equal with God because he claimed to do nothing in and of himself. I can do nothing of myself. What I see the father doing, I do. What I hear the father saying, I say. So in today's message... Jesus is going to give the religious leaders proof that what he is saying is indeed true. And the proof comes in the form of witnesses. Now, last time I said there were four, and basically this section is about four witnesses. There is another one that snuck in there, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. Witness is a key word as you study the Gospel of John. It's a key word. John uses it no less than 47 times. The Greek word that John is using is meteria, meaning to bear witness or to give testimony. All right? So let's begin by looking at verse 31. Remember, Jesus is still talking. If I bear witness of myself, my witness is not true. Jesus cannot bear witness of himself because he knew no one except his Testimony. He knew nobody would accept what he was trying to say. They would invoke upon him Deuteronomy 19.15. You can't claim yourself. You need more witnesses. You need one, two, or three witnesses at least to have a matter disclosed. Like anyone else, it wasn't enough for Jesus to simply claim 
things about himself. There had to be outside sources. There had to be independent witnesses of who he was. So what I see Jesus doing here is he's fulfilling the law. Remember, Jesus fulfilled the law in everything he did. He fulfilled the law completely. Deuteronomy 19.15 says this has to happen, so Jesus is going to fulfill this. He's going to fulfill this part of the law. I mean, what Jesus said was true. He is the Son of God. He wasn't lying. He is precisely who he claimed to be, and the fact should have been noticed by the religious leaders. The religious leaders themselves should have known that who he said he was, he was. You know, if people are truly searching and seeking God, they couldn't have missed the fact that he is the Son of God. How can they miss this fact? And this is one thing why Jesus wept over Jerusalem. You missed the day of your visitation. You missed me when I came and I presented myself to you. You didn't have any part of me. Instead, you wanted to kill me. You missed me completely. Jesus would prove the fact by meeting the demands of the justice under the law. He is going to call forth not just two witnesses, but basically four prove his claim. So let's look at verse 32. There is another who bears witness of me, and I know that the witness which he witnesses of me is true. Now I blew by this. I went by this because I wanted to get to the first witness here that Jesus was talking about. But here Jesus says there's another who will bear witness of me. Remember our discussion when I said Jesus told them, I will send another, and the word another meant exactly like him. Here he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I will send another. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. But he's not focusing right now on the Holy Spirit yet because it's too early in his ministry to talk about that. He's going to talk about the Holy Spirit and his witnesses later. And if you go to John 15, 26, it simply says that Jesus says, when the Holy Spirit comes, he will testify of me. So the Holy Spirit is going to be a witness, not just right now. The Holy Spirit will be a witness for Christ, but not just right now in this context, although we know the Holy Spirit is present. So, But Jesus' first witness that he calls is John the Baptist. Let's read 33. Actually, 33 through 35. You have sent to John, and he has borne witness of the truth. Yet I do not receive testimony from man, but I say these things that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing for a time to rejoice in his light. John the Baptist, remember, John the Baptist comes on the scene. John the Baptist comes on the scene, and the first thing he tells them is says, I'm not the Christ. Don't look at me. I am not the Christ. Look for another. One who comes after me, but is preferred before me. One whose shoelaces I can't even tie. Whose sandals I can't even latch. One who comes and will show you these things. I'm not him. John faithfully said that Jesus was Lord in chapter 123. And then, as Jesus is walking forward, John, in front of everyone, points to him and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John declared, This is him. I'm not him. This is him. This is the one that we've been waiting for. This is the Messiah. He's the one who will save the world. He's the one who will take away the sin. And he did that two times. And then finally... In verse 34 of chapter 1, John says, I saw, and I'm now bearing witness to you, that Jesus is the Son of God. This is paramount, folks. John is saying that. He's witnessing of Jesus' deity. He's witnessing of Jesus being equal with God because Jesus was God. He was God's Son. He was God incarnate. 
And John the Baptist is witnessing to that. Jesus said to the religious leaders, you know, John, you've heard him speak. You, you went out to see him. You heard him speak. Now you have to decide what he's saying is true. And the same thing's being thrown out to you today. The same thing is being brought out there. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God incarnate. You have to decide for yourself who he is. Every man, every woman, every child has to make that decision sometime in their life. You have to make that decision. And if you don't make it, you will make it when you get to heaven. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. It will happen. The religious leaders had accepted the work of John the Baptist. And now they needed to continue to regard Jesus as the Messiah, the one who would be sent, the Messiah, the coming one. They had to accept him for who he was and who he is. Man's testimony doesn't save us. It's Jesus Christ that saves us. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever should believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. You want to be saved? That's the way to get saved. Jesus is saying, if you believe upon me, you will have eternal life. If you believe upon me, being saved is believing into Jesus and who he is. And I love this verse when Jesus said of John, he was a lamp that burns and shines. I love that verse. John was a lamp that burns and shines. What a glorious description of someone. Wow. I think we all would want that description of ourselves, a lamp that burns and shines the love of Christ. Because think about this. A lamp does not light itself. A lamp must be lit. Jesus has lit the lamp in us. Jesus has lit the lamp in us. He's the one that lights the lamp in John. A lamp gives off heat. John's message had warmth to it because it went to our heart. The message of Christ goes to our heart and it warms us. It fills us. It flows ever over us. What's the function of a light? To guide. The function of a light is to guide. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a guide to my path. The light guides us and leads us into the truth. Listen to what William Barclay said, quote, In the nature of things, a lamp burns itself out. In giving light, it consumes itself. John was to decrease while Jesus increased. I love that. Do you know that if you are born again, Jesus calls you the light of the world? He calls you the light of the world. So my question has to be, are you a well-lit lamp? Are you one of those gnarly kerosene heaters that gives off that black, nasty smoke? Are you a well-lit lamp? Are you shining the light of Jesus Christ into the darkness? Are you shining the love of Jesus Christ into the darkness by your presence? Are you shining it into the hearts of men and women whom you meet on a daily basis? Or are you just giving forth all that black, nasty smoke that goes out and gets on your clothes and your hair and stuff like that? Are you shining the love of Jesus Christ into the lives of those you're around? Jesus called us the light of the world. Or are you hiding your lamp? Are you hiding it so no one can see it? Well, you know, I'm private about my religion. Well, that's not what Jesus said to do. Jesus said, if you confess before men, I'll confess you before the Father. We're not supposed to hide our lamp. Let your light so shine that men might see your good works and glorify a Father who's in heaven. 
Jesus wants us to shine our light. Shine the light that he's given us. The religious leaders thought John the Baptist was a local celebrity. If he would have been a DJ, he would have been the drive-time DJ of DJs. They thought he was a celebrity. But they didn't receive his message to repent. And even though people rejoiced in John's message, it was only for a season. If John said anything that did not allow them to do as they pleased, they rejected it. And folks, nothing's changed. Nothing has changed at all. Every time the pastor gives a message that cuts to the quick, every time I stand up here and say something that might get you because you're being convicted or you might not agree with, boom. I don't like that. I should be able to do as I please. What do you mean I have to change? How dare you tell me I have to change? How dare you tell me I'm a sinner? How dare you tell me that I might go to hell? How dare you? I'm not telling you, folks, it's God's word that's telling you. Don't argue with me. Argue with him. Some pastors don't mention hell or sin. Well, this pastor says if you don't repent of your sin, you're going to hell. When someone doesn't mention sin, when someone doesn't mention hell, when someone doesn't mention repentance, that's not the gospel. That's the gospel. It's not the gospel at all. It's the gospel. God's word always touches our heart. God's word comes forth, comes into our heart, and starts to do something in there. And yes, sometimes he comes in and smacks us upside the head and tells us we've got to change our act. Sometimes it comes into our heart. It's always encouraging. It's always loving. His love never fails. It never fails to touch your heart in so many ways. It never fails to give you what you need at that time, to lift you up. Yeah, sure, you might have to do some changing. Sure, you might have to do this and do that. But it's a want to please God. It's a want to show him the love that he's shown you. Paul said, the love of Christ constrains me. It's the love of Christ that keeps me focused and keeps me going. Long time ago, Greg Laurie said this about preaching the gospel. If someone isn't mad at you while you're preaching the gospel, you're not preaching the gospel. So John the Baptist is Jesus' witness. And Jesus calls witness number two, the testimony of his works. Look at verse 36. But I have greater witness than John's, for the works which the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I do bear witness of me that the Father has sent me. Jesus told these religious leaders that the works he did were the works of the Father. I can do nothing of myself. I can't do anything of myself. I'm only doing what the Father's doing. I'm only saying what the Father is saying. I can't do these things of myself. Even one of their own. Even one of their own in chapter 3, verse 2. The great Nicodemus. The great Nicodemus who came to Jesus that night said to Jesus himself, we know you're from God because no one can do the things that you do if they weren't sent from God. Nicodemus knew that. Of course, Nicodemus was being drawn to them. Jesus is saying that what John said about me is really good, but it's not good enough. What about the works that I accomplish? Basically, Jesus was saying, hey guys, there's a guy who used to be lame for 38 years walking around here. Have you noticed him lately? How do you think that happened? He never made it to the pool of Bethesda. He waited there 38 years, but he's walking around now. What about him? Now, you have to realize that these Pharisees were students of the word. We're going to get to this in a minute. They were pretty good students of the word. They realized that other men in the Bible 
have healed people, even raised them from the dead. Elisha, Elijah, and many others have healed men and women in the Bible. So you can see they're reluctant to believe this person because he's done some miracles to believe that this was what made him the son of God. But he keeps saying he's not taking credit for it. He's saying his father in heaven. It's his father's work. God originated the work. God planned the work. God oversaw the work. God was the one that, that gave the works to be completed. Note that Jesus claimed to have completed the works perfectly. Jesus came to earth to complete a work. He came to earth to complete a work, and that work was not completed until he died on a Roman cross. That was the work that Jesus came to complete. It is finished. The work is done. It is finished. And Jesus did it on a cross. Jesus says, this should prove that the Father sent him, the works I do. You've never seen these kind of works before. These are unusual. They're so full of power and wisdom and love and care and glory and honor to God. But men saw him and they failed to believe him. They failed. Why? Why did they fail? Well, I think one of the reasons they failed was because these miraculous works that Jesus did were done out of compassion. They were done out of love. They were done out of mercy. These works bear witness of God's heart towards mankind. Oh, yeah, the Jews wanted a miraculous Messiah, all right. But they wanted a Messiah who would come in, kick down doors, kick butt, and take names. They wanted a Messiah who would throw Rome out of power. They wanted a Messiah who would come in, kill all the Romans, and set up his kingdom here. They wanted a kingly Messiah. They wanted one that was going to be great and wonderful. They weren't ready for a Messiah who would come in humble, who would come in with compassion and love. They weren't ready for that. They wanted someone who was going to deliver Israel. They didn't realize that Jesus would deliver the world. But he would deliver them from sin. He would deliver them by faith. Because Jesus' miraculous works didn't fit what they thought about a Messiah, they didn't receive his witness. Think about that. Think about that. Many of us are like that today. Many of us are like that today. When Jesus doesn't fit in the mold that we've made for him, we don't believe it. We don't believe it. You got people who don't believe in God that when something tragic happens to me, the first time they ask is, why did God allow this? If you don't believe in him, why are you blaming him? What's Jesus' goal for all mankind? Eternal life. Eternal life is his goal. He wants all to have eternal life. But he wants to do it his way. He doesn't want Frank Sinatra singing, I did it my way. No, we do it Jesus' way. We do it his way, not our way. We always have a better plan. I don't know about you, but I do. I always have a better plan. Sometimes we believe that Jesus can do this and do that, but if I believe in Jesus, I can also do this and do that. What do you mean i got to change? Scripture says we are to be transformed into His likeness. You are a The Gospel of John was written from a perspective that provides an eyewitness account of what happened during the life of Jesus here on earth. Different than the other three Gospels, John's book describes Jesus in ways that confirm him as the Son of God. There are things done and said that can only point to Jesus being far more powerful than what a human could do. In the Old Testament, God referred to himself as I Am, 
In this book, John recounts how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And I am the resurrection and the life. These were bold statements, but Jesus proved throughout his ministry that they were indeed true. He lived a life that compelled people to follow at that time, to seek him out, and to commit their lives. And we can also follow him today. If you missed any part of today's teaching, or you'd like to listen to additional messages from Pastor Dave, visit AssureHopeRadio.com. Perhaps you were listening, you realized that you have some questions about faith, and maybe even about salvation. We'd be happy to talk with you and provide some resources to answer your questions. Give us a call at 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609-884-5821. You can also click on the Jesus tab at AssureHopeRadio.com. This will provide you with a succinct picture of who Jesus is and how he can change your life. Thank you again for taking the time to learn about God's Word today. We hope you'll join us again next time on A Sure Hope.